Okay, hello everybody and welcome back to Creeping It Real with me, Morgan. Uh, I hope you've all had a great week. Um, there's finally been a bit of a change in the weather where I'm from, so we can all breathe again. It's not boiling hot. Um, but yeah, it's definitely starting to feel like spooky season now. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, I think we're even doing some thunderstorms, which I love. So uh, hopefully they can clear the air a bit more. But anyways, again, this isn't a weather podcast, as I stated last week. I do it every time. So... In today's episode, I thought we could talk about a subject that has thousands of stories online. When I started researching this, I I didn't actually know it was as popular in the spooky section as what it is. Um, But yeah, so in today's episode, I've decided that we're going to talk about haunted objects. So when I started researching this, I actually did find out that there are hundreds of top uh, hundreds of stories in this topic like from haunted dolls random ornaments like really weird ornaments actually um and even like paintings and pictures so uh, i've picked out a few different ones i want to discuss um to be honest with you in this episode the, the ones i have picked are probably the most famous ones um but this is just to get us into it and then there could be a part two to this episode anyway um if, if we want to do a part two so anyway we will we will digress. We will get into the episode. So, without further ado, 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 ado um, I will start with the first story. Um, so, uh, the first story I want to talk about is most likely one of the most famous haunted objects ever. Um, so, I'm sure everybody should of this one. And that story is about Annabelle. Um, so, <clears throat> the Annabelle doll is a raggedy Anne doll that was allegedly possessed by a demonic spirit. The doll was given as a birthday present by a mother to her daughter, who was called Donna. Uh, She was a nursing student. Um, In 1970, the mother bought the doll from a hobby store or a second-hand store. I don't think that's... There's a few different accounts for the story, and that changes in both, so it's in either. The story of the doll was popularised by paranormal investigators Ed and and Lorraine Warren, uh, who took the doll to their museum... Uh, it does go on to say that the films based on the doll are fictional and not based on real events. So, what happened with Annabelle and why does she have a famously vicious background? So, to the uninformed visitors of the Warren's Occult Museum in Monroe, Connecticut, she looks like any other raggedy Anne doll produced in the mid-20th century. But the original Annabelle doll is actually anything but ordinary. Since her first supposed haunting in 1970, this allegedly evil doll has been blamed for demonic possession, a slew of violent attacks, and at least two near-death experiences. In recent years, the true stories of Annabelle have even inspired a series of horror films, which I'm sure we've all heard about. Um, that's, but it's funny because the, the doll doesn't actually look anything like the doll in the films, um, which does go on in the story it does tell you this in a bit now uh so uh how much of annabelle's story is actually real uh so the and is the real annabelle doll truly a vessel for a demonic spirit in search of a human host or is she simply a child's toy child's toy used as a prop for a wildly profitable ghost stories uh so these are the real stories of annabelle it says Though she doesn't share the same porcelain skin and lifelike features as her cinematic counterpart, the Annabelle doll that lives, the Annabelle doll that lives in the occult museum of famed paranormal investigators Ed and Lauren 
I keep saying Lauren. I keep say, I mean to say Lorraine. Ed and Lorraine Warren, the pair that worked on the case, is made all the more creepy by how ordinary she appears. So, Annabelle's stitched features, including her half-smile and bright orange triangular nose, evoke memories of childhood toys and simpler times. If you could ask Ed or Lorraine Warren... Uh, and then it says in brackets, though Ed died in 2006 and Lorraine died in early 2019, they would tell you that the stark warnings scrawled across Annabelle's glass case are more than necessary. Um, I'll put some pictures up on the uh, Instagram page of the the doll if you haven't seen it already, but it's just a really creepy doll in a glass case in a museum. Um, also, I apologise if you hear some sc- sc- like scuffing noises in the background. That is actually... Uh, my cat Elton climbing in and out of a cardboard box of a Halloween decoration that I purchased. Um, so <laughs> apologies for that if you can hear that in the background. Anyways, um, according to the well-known demon- demolo- demonologist, that is a great big word, demonologist couple, the doll is responsible for two near-death experiences, one fatal accident and a string of demonic activities that lasted some 30 years. The first of these infamous hauntings can allegedly be traced back to 1970, when Annabelle was brand new. The story was told to the Warrens by two young women and was retold for years by the Warrens themselves. As the story goes, the Annabelle doll had been a gift to a young nurse named Donna, or Deirdre, depending on the source. So again, through different sources, the names have sort of changed in the story. Um... From her mother for her 28th birthday. Donna, apparently thrilled with the gift, brought it back to her apartment that she shared with another young nurse named Angie. At first, the doll was an adorable accessory sitting on the sofa in the living room and greeting visitors with her colourful visage. But before long, the two women began to notice that the Annabelle, Annabelle doll seemed to move about the room of her own accord. Donna would sit her on the living room sofa before leaving for work, only to come home in the afternoon and find her in the bedroom with the door shut. Donna and Angie then started finding notes left throughout the apartment reading, Help me. According to the women, the notes were written on parchment paper, which they did not even keep in their home. Furthermore, Angie's boyfriend, known only as Lou, was in the apartment one afternoon while Donna was out and heard rustling in her room as if someone had broken in. Upon inspection, he found no sign of forced entry, but found the Annabelle doll lying face down on the ground. And then again, in brackets, I've written... Other versions of the story say he was attacked upon waking up from a nap. Um, but again, we don't know because there's a few different accounts of the story. So I'm just giving you both options. Um, so uh, suddenly he felt a searing pain on his chest and looked down to find bloody claw marks running across it. Two days later, they had vanished without a trace. That is weird. Uh, following Lou's traumatic experience, the women invited a medium over to help solve their seemingly paranormal problem. The medium held a seance and told the women that the doll was inhabited by the spirit of a deceased seven-year-old named Annabel Higgins, whose body had been found years earlier on the site of where the apartment building had, apartment building had been built. The medium claimed that the spirit was be- be- benevolent and simply wanted to be loved and cared for. The two young nurses reportedly felt bad for the spirit and consented to allow her to take up permanent residence in the doll. Eventually, in an attempt to rid their home of the Annabelle doll spirit, Donna and Angie called an episcopal priest, priest known as Father Hagen, 
Hagen contacted his superior father cook who alerted Ed and Lorraine Warren. As far as Ed and Lorraine were concerned, the two young ladies' trouble started when they began believing that the doll deserved their sympathy. The Warrens believed that there was actually a demonic force in search of a human host within Annabelle, and not a benevolent soul. The Warrens' account of the case states, Spirits do not possess inanimate objects like houses or toys, they possess people. An inhuman spirit can attach itself to a place or an object, and this is what occurred in the Annabelle case. This spirit manipulated the doll and created the illusion of it being alive in order to get recognition. Truly, the spirit was not looking to stay attached to the doll, it was looking to possess a human host. So, immediately, the Warrens noted that they believed there were signs of demonic possession, including teleportation, which which is the doll moving on its own, materialisation, which would be the parchment paper notes that they found, and the mark of the beast, which was obviously on uh, her partner's chest. Uh, the Warrens subsequently ordered an exorcism, ex- exorcism of the apartment to be performed by Father Cook. Then they took Annabelle out of the apartment and to her final resting place in the occult museum in the hopes that her demonic reign would finally end. Following Annabelle's removal from Donna and Angie's apartment, the Warrens documented several other paranormal experiences involving the doll. The first just minutes after they took possession of her. After the exorcism of the nurse's apartment, the Warrens buckled Annabelle into the back seat of their car and vowed not to take the highway just in case she somehow kind of caused any accident causing or causing any power over them or their vehicle. However, even safe even the safer back roads provided to be too risky for the couple. On their way home, Lorraine claimed that the brakes either stalled or failed several times, resulting in near disastrous crashes. Lorraine claimed that as soon as Ed pulled holy water from his bag and doused the doll with it, the problem with the brakes disappeared. Upon arriving home, Ed and Lorraine placed the doll in Ed's study. There they reported that the doll levitated and moved about the house. Even when placed in a locked office in an outer building, the Warrens claimed that she would turn up later inside the house. Finally, the Warrens decided to lock Annabelle up for good. The Warrens had a specially made glass and wood case constructed upon which they inscribed the Lord's Prayer and St. Michael's Prayer. For the rest of his life, Ed would periodically say a binding prayer over the case, ensuring that the sinister spirit and the doll remained good and trapped. Since being locked up, Annabelle the doll hasn't moved again, though it is alleged that her spirit has found ways to reach out to the earthly plane. Once, a priest who was visiting the Warrens Museum picked up Annabelle and discounted her demonic abilities. Ed warned the priest about mocking Annabelle's demonic power, but the young priest laughed him off. On his way home, the priest was involved in a near-fatal crash that totaled his new car. He claimed to have seen Annabelle in his rear-view mirror just before the accident. Uh, That just gave me a little bit of goosebumps, actually. (laughs) Years later, another visitor tapped on the glass of Annabelle's case and laughed at how silly people were to believe in her. On his way home, he reportedly lost control of his motorcycle and crashed headlong into a tree. He was killed instantly and his girlfriend just barely survived. She claimed that at the time of the accident, the couple had been laughing about the Annabelle doll. Over the years, the Warrens continued to recount these tales as proof of Annabelle's, of the Annabelle's doll's horrific powers, 
though none of these stories could be corroborated. The names of the young priests and motorcyclists were never divulged, or divulged. Uh, neither Donna nor Angie, the two nurses who were Annabelle's first victims, ever came forward with their story. Neither did Father Cook or Father Hegan ap- appeared to have mentioned their exorcism of her ever again. It would appear that all we have is the Warren's word that any of this even took place. So, what do we think, guys? Uh, do we believe in the Annabelle story? Um, personally, I'd love to believe it because, I mean, it would be great for a paranormal story, wouldn't it? But um, I definitely would be too scared to spend the night in the same room as Annabelle <laughs> or even in that creepy museum. Um, there's so many stories about haunted dolls, but I think definitely this one is my the scariest one for me. Um, and there's there's a lot, actually, of research that's gone into this. Um but yeah, as part of my research into this, uh, I discovered as well, guys, I hate to inform you that the famous Chucky doll from the Chucky films is in fact not even a real story at all. That was all completely made up. Because when I started researching Annabelle, I thought I wanted to see a bot about Chucky and then I was immediately uh, shut down by the fact that, yeah, that was a complete lie. Um, but however, the Annabelle is based on a allegedly true story. Um, which is the story I just retold you. Uh, so yeah, what do we think, guys? Let me know what you think about the Annabelle one. I'm interested to hear people's opinions on this because it's such a famous story. I wondered what we, what everybody would think. So let me know. Uh, but anyway, we're going to move on now to something a little bit different. Uh, I've researched some haunted paintings. Um, and one of the ones I come across is very strange and also a very popular story which you might have already heard about. Um, and that story is about the crying boy painting which had a curse upon it apparently. So, uh, there's a few questions that start the story and then we'll get into the story. So, can a painting be haunted by a, the spirit of a small boy and can its evil powers cause houses to burn down around it? Um, so... Back in the 1980s, a huge number of Brits believed believed in this curse. Terrified that a rather tacky painting known as the Crying Boy was cursed, they ripped it off the walls of their homes. Thousands of paintings were destroyed in a mass bonfire. So how did the rumours about the Crying Boy start? The painting, along with other similar ones of children crying, was done by an Italian artist, Bruno Amadio, under the name Giovanni Bragolin, Bragolin, Giovanni Bragolin. We'll go with that because I don't know how else I'm going to say it. Uh, The prints were mass-produced and wildly sold throughout the UK. On September the 4th, 1985, British tabloid newspaper The Sun published a story about a couple, Ron and May Hall, whose house had burned down due to a fire which started in a chip pan. The painting of the crying boy remained untouched while all around it was, was charred ruins. The couple blamed the fire on the painting. A fire station officer, Alan Wilkinson, said he knew of numerous other cases where this same painting was the only object in the house to survive a fire unscathed. A photo accompanying the story showed the crying boy in the caption read, Tears for Fears, the portrait that firemen claim is cursed. No fireman had actually used the word curse, but a legend was born. The next day, the Sun ran a follow-up story, saying that they'd been floored by calls from horrified readers. Dora Mann said her house burned down just six months after she bought the painting. All her paintings were destroyed except the one of the crying boy. 
Another reader said her son had caught his private parts on a hook just after she bought the crying boy. And a third claimed that her husband and three sons had all died since she'd bought the painting in 1959. When another house displaying the crying boy painting, which in brackets says by a different artist, Anna Zinkessin, burnt down, panic grew. A story about the fire had a brigade spokesperson claiming that there was no cause for alarm, but adding, these incidents are becoming more frequent. The son, thrilled by the success of their story, offered to take the cursed paintings off people's hands. Soon, their offices were stacked with 2,500 prints of the crying boy. They were eventually burnt in a gigantic bonfire with page three girls helping out. But rumours about the painting refused to die. A story spread that the crying boy was a Spanish street urchin called Don Boninlo, whose parents had died in a fire. No one wanted to take him in because wherever he stayed, fires would start. An artist painted him, but then the artist's studio was destroyed by a fire. Years later, an unidentified body was found inside the charred ruins of a car. The name on the driver's licence was Don Bonolo. No one has ever been able to find evidence of any truth to this story. In 2010, a BBC radio presenter and comedian, Steve Punt, attempted to burn the crying boy on his show, Punt P.I., <laughs> The attempt was filmed and put on YouTube. Punt set fire to the painting, but the flames wouldn't spread. He concluded that the painting was covered in some kind of fire retardant coating, which would explain a lot. Punt finished the show by saying he would leave the painting on his porch, and he said, I'm not taking any chances. Would you? he asked. So even today, people still believe the curse of the crying boy. Dr. David Clark from Sheffield Hallam University wrote an article about the legend just a few years ago. He was floored with emails from people who begged him to take the painting off their hands. One reader who had just cleared his mother's house in which a crying boy was discovered wrote to say, My wife will not have the picture in the house. I have to hang it in the garden shed with fire extinguishers at the ready. Other people have written their fears also on Dr. Clark's website. My mum has this picture, but they said they heard about the course the curse, and they hang it in a cupboard facing the wall so no one looks at it, posted one woman. They believe if they try and get rid of it, something bad will happen. So, if you are interested in buying your own own print of the painting, there are some available online in Australia. (laughs) Um, Australia, I don't know why, but this was the only place I could find. Um, Someone is selling it on, on Gumtree, and they're describing it as a highly collectible and referencing the curse of the crying boy. So, would you pay 165 Australian dollars to have that painting hanging in your house? <laughs> um, what do we think? Uh, personally, this was one of the one of my favourite stories. I love reading stories like this. Um, but I personally believe that everybody just jumped on the bandwagon when this case arose, and it was just one coincidence that had happened, and then everybody jumped on it so quickly, and news spread like wildfire. And that's what happened. However, for the sake of the podcast, I'm going to say, no, guys, this is a genuine ghost story. (laughs) Um, Let me know what you think. Uh, I guess we're not ever going to know the truth behind it anyway, but it does make a good ghost story, doesn't it? So let me know what you think about that. If you had, if you know anybody or you had one personally of the crying boy, let me know. Did you ever experience anything weird with it or know anybody that did? Let me know. 
So yes, I'm going to move on again now from paintings over to an even stranger item, which I don't actually know if it is, but allegedly this is the most haunted item to ever exist. Now this item is the Dybbuk box. Um, this is another wildly famous story, um, which again has a disappointing ending, just to pre-warn you, but I will give you with that at the end of the end of the story. So, uh, the Dybbuk box is a paranormal story consisting of an antique wine cabinet claimed to be haunted by a Dybbuk, a concept from Judaism. The box gained notoriety when it was auctioned off on eBay by owner Kevin Manis, who told a story featuring Jewish Holocaust survivors and paranormal claims as part of his eBay item description. Manis' story was also the inspiration for the 2012 horror film The Possession. I haven't actually seen this, which I probably should go and watch it now that I've done the research. So, it was 2004, and eBay delivery arrived at the home of Jason Haxton that would unexpectedly change his life forever. Soon after he opened the package, his eyes turned red, his body reacted in a breakout of rash, and he would randomly feel choked. The events that occurred following receiving this antique wooden box led Haxton to believe he'd been cursed by a Dibbuk, also known as Dibbuk. <laughs> Um, part of a Jewish mythology which possessed a spirit claiming to be the soul of the dead. Haxton was a high school graduate from Texas. He described feeling paralysed by pain and often would have traumatising night terrors. The box... Uh, sorry, the thriller declares that to its audience uh, being based on true events, which may be why it sparked such an interest and set viewing records in cinemas. That's in reference to the film, by the way, guys. I just realised I missed a part out. Um... Yeah, so the, the film The Possession, which is a 2012 horror film, um, in the movie, uh, the victim of the box is a young girl who becomes um, possessed and as a result uh, cursed by a malicious spirit. Um, so, and again, it does state that it's based on true events. So, the tale begins when Haxton first learned about the box from a worker at the medical school where Haxton attended as a director. The worker spoke of a Jewish wine cabinet that was owned by his roommate and was believed to be possessed. The roommate decided to get rid of the box after experiencing attacks on his body such as severe hair loss and strange odours. He made a listing on eBay adding the description Dibbuk Haunted Jewish Wine Cabinet Box. Clearly he was not subtle and made no attempt at masking the fact that this box came with a curse. The box came with several strange items such as locks of hair, a wine goblet and some grubby pennies. Haxton came across the list and he had a hobby for searching antique items and ended up winning the bid for around $280. He had planned on giving it as a gift to his illusionist friend. Unfortunately, his, fr his friend declined as he was stuck with it. And, and he was stuck with it, sorry. Haxton purchased the box with no belief that any harm would come to him. He was genuinely a sceptic of all things haunted. This was until the strange happenings began and he decided there was no other possible explanation for other than the curse. He even described himself as science-based, but the correlation between his illnesses and acquiring the box was too strong to deny. In his first stages of disbelief, he took the box to the lab and tested it for poisonous materials and various kinds of heavy metals. However, the results were negative across the board. Haxton had discussions with professionals in science and spiritual, spiritual teachings. The shared advice was to store the box gold-lined 
in a wait was to store the box gold lined wooden cage intended to counteract the evil and deadly force this saw miraculous results his illnesses cleared up almost instant instantaneously and he felt just as he did before the box came into his life throughout this journey the box was acquiring an increasing amount of attraction online it became known as the infamous Dibbuck box and Haxton was pounded with internet requests he used this to his advantage, creating a website for the box which was gaining six figures worth of visitors. The box even made LA news. Eventually, in true Hollywood fashion, Haxton was approached and sold his story to a production company and the thriller film was released later that year. Haxton doesn't feature in the possession himself. It is a young girl who is possessed by a vengeful spirit, vengeful spirit after she purchases a Dibbuck box at a second-hand sale. The family try and fight the powers of the evil spirit displayed by their daughter as it inhabits her body in a deadly manner. Haxton praised the movie a collective, as a collective portrayal of the stories told by all who have come into contact with the box. More recently, Haxton's tale was published as a book which titles The Dibbuck Box, which provides a written account of the haunted experiences. Haxton's family have shared their opinions on the phenomenon. His mother has expressed her son's love for the research over the years, but does not share much of an opinion on the box itself. Whereas his sister is a firm believer of the story and supports her brother's ventures. Historically, the myths of the Dibbuck box date back way before Haxton's story came to light. It is a Jewish belief trending from the 16th century. The whereabouts of the haunted box currently is in a highly secure tainer hidden underneath the ground and hopefully will never be unearthed again. Um, so, uh, there's a... A paranormal group on, I believe, YouTube and maybe on some American TV pro, uh, channels um, called Ghost Adventures. Um, and the guy from that is called Zach Hagins or Zach Hig or Baggins or Baggins, something like that. Um, and he purchased the box most recently and he has it in his museum now. Um, but I do regret to inform you that the original creator of the story of the Dirk box has come forward and allegedly said that he has complete he completely made the story up just to sell the item on eBay. Um, so, if this is true and he had completely made the story up, how does that explain the events that took place after the box left his hands? There's so many stories to go with the Dirk box uh, stories, not just from that one guy. I, there's there's three or four other witnesses about stuff that's happened. Um, I didn't want to include them all in this because it would have made the stories really long because um, they're massive accounts. Um, so yeah, you can you can do a bit more research into it. Um, but then as soon as I read that the guy had said he'd made it all up, I was very disappointed because I was thinking I was digging down a rabbit hole which didn't exist. Um, so yeah, what do we think of the story? Um, again, I personally think people jumped on a bandwagon again and had some huge coincidences that made the story so hyped up. So whether or not we believe in this story, it does make a great story again, doesn't it? Um, but that's what this podcast is about, guys. It's about not debunking stories, but trying to find a rational explanation before we jump on the paranormal thing. As much as I really, really want to believe in ghosts, and I absolutely love leaving the stories, if there is a logical explanation for it, then we can't argue it, can we? Um, however, um, I do love a good creepy story. Uh, so, 
to wrap up this episode because I have been rambling already for almost half an hour. Um, I'm going to share with you a story that I found which I haven't actually heard of before. Um, And this story is all about the devil's rocking chair. Uh, So again, this is uh, coming from the hands of the Ghost Adventures guy, Zach Baggins, or Baggins, I don't know how you say his name. Um, So, the story I have reads. One of the many haunted objects uh, Zach Baggins bought to display in the haunted museum was an allegedly evil chair known as the Devil's Rocking Chair. The history of this object and its first owner is a mystery. However, we do know that it became owned by the Glatzel family in the 1950s. Any particularly strange activity went unnoticed for the first 30 years that the family owned the chair. This was until a traumatising event took place which tore everything apart. Two of the Glatzel family members were possessed by demonic force that inflicted murder upon the family. The story leads back to the chair which is believed to be the the cursed object responsible for these tragic events. So, the possession of David Glatzel. David Glatzel, who was 11 years old at the time, was the first to become possessed by the evil spirit. It was a summer night in 1980 when David awoke in terror and was screaming the house down. He told his family that he had seen a ghostly figure during the night. He described what he'd witnessed to be a man who was part animal with horns and hooves and a thin gaunt face with spiky teeth. If this was another, any other child, you may overlook this claim as just a bad dream. However, David was an honest child. He was terrified of anything slightly spooky and he, he was clearly, clearly, wow, clearly traumatised by what he had witnessed. David was not the same after this night. He became entirely socially withdrawn and disconnected from the real world. His sister Debbie was particularly concerned for his well-being and kept a close eye on her brother. As the nights went on, David had recurring dreams of the scary man. This progressed to physical evidence. David would regularly wake up covered in bruises and strange markings that must have happened whilst he was sleeping. It became unbearable when he started seeing the man during the daytime. They now referred to it as the Beast. The evil spirit of the Beast became so powerful that David started to feel as if he was the Beast. The Beast's favourite spot was in the rocking chair. The family reported seeing the chair empty but slowly rocking back and forth. Priests attempt to banish the evil spirits from the the devil's chair. The Glatzel family had no choice but to invite a priest to the house in an attempt to banish any evil spirits. This only seemed to aggravate the spirit more. David had more frequent visions and began screaming at his family in unrecognisable voices. He also spoke in Old English. They took turns in watching him during the night to keep him under control. Also as a health precaution as he had multiple episodes of seizures. Ed and Lorraine Warren were the next paranormal professionals to visit the Glatzel home. It's these guys again. (laughs) The pair worked with the priests to perform exorcisms on David. Often whilst he sat in the rocking chair, the Warrens have testified to seeing the chair move by itself and even levitate on occasions in plain sight. After many exorcisms, the devil was extracted from David's body and he had control over himself once again. The family felt as though they were finally free from the demonic force, but this feeling did not last very long. Unfortunately, the fiancé of David's sister, Arne Johnson, became acting very odd and he was not himself at all. They came to the conclusion that a demon had entered Johnson's body. He would hiss and have visions just like David once did. 
So, Johnson's possession was much more intense and got extremely out of hand. He was so out of control that he resulted in murdering his landlord. He brutally stabbed him repeatedly. His fiancée witnessed the whole thing. Johnson claimed in court that he was not responsible for his actions due to being under demonic uh, possession. The court overlooked his plea and he was sentenced to prison. Johnson served five years before being released. As soon as he was free, he married Debbie. Despite the horrific events, the Glatzel family held onto the rocking chair even when they moved house. The strange activity never completely stopped and anyone who sat in the chair would suffer the consequences, such as excruciating back problems which would send them to the hospital. The chair is still protected to this day, it is held in the haunted museum, and the demonic spirits supposedly remain surrounding the chair. The museum's workers have reported suspicious happenings since its arrival. So visitors are warned to enter at their own risk. So would you go and see the haunted uh, rocking chair at the haunted museum? Which I believe, unfortunately, is in America. So I would love to go otherwise. But um, it's a very long distance away. Which actually I'm quite glad about. Because um, at least we're far away from all these cursed and possessed items. Um but yeah, honestly, guys, I could go on and on and on about all these haunted objects and stories because there's so many of them. Uh, and personally, they are one of my favourite stories to read because they have, like, true accounts to them as well, which I love. Um, I've actually been very tempted to purchase a haunted object off, like, eBay or Gumtree because there's so many on there. But I don't know if that's people just trying to make a quick buck. Um, but... Um, I'm way too scared to try it anyway, so I'm not going to do it. Or shall I do it? I could do it for a video, I suppose, and see. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but let me know what you think about all the stories in today's podcast. As I said, they are some of the most famous stories. Um, I think I could definitely do a part two of Haunted Objects because there's so many to go through and they, they all excite me very much. So I feel like we could go on and on and on. Um, I actually think this has been one of my favourite episodes to record so far. Um, there's been plenty of spooks. Um, also, you might have heard at the start of the episode my little theme tune that I managed to get into the spirit of spookiness. And I now have a theme tune for the podcast. So hopefully things are on the app and we're getting a bit better at the editing bits of it, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, so for now, that is going to be the end of the podcast, guys. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you haven't already, remember to go over to Instagram or TikTok and follow us and let me know your thoughts on everything. Um, I love hearing from you all. I still need all your stories. So if you have any spooky stories, any little anecdotes that you want to share with me, please, please, please let me know. I want to hear them all. You can get in touch via Instagram, TikTok, or email, which the email is creepingitrealwithmorgan at gmail.com. The Instagram and TikTok is just creepingitrealwithmorgan. Um, yeah, let me know your thoughts. I really want to spe speak to you all and uh, hear more of your stories. Um, I'll be doing some little videos on TikTok as well. Um, have a great week. Uh, I'll be back next week. So until then, stay spooky and always creep it real. Bye, guys.